We're going to start by repeating verse 5, second half of our reading. Thus says the Lord, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory. I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The servant passages in Isaiah and the season of Advent, we are in Advent 3. It is Gaudete Sunday. Since it's not Cantata Sunday, Granger hasn't given you the full Gaudete lecture this year again. But it is why we light the pink candle, the candle of joy. And frankly, by the time we get to the third Sunday in Advent, our minds are already focused on Jesus, much like the old joke about the kid in the children's sermon, where the pastor is describing something and says, what is this? It's gray. It's a fluffy tail. Climbs trees. It like nuts. And the kids, as only kids can do and get away with in church, one of them says, well, it sure sounds to me like you're talking about a squirrel, but this is church, so the answer must be Jesus. That's often how we treat these passages in Isaiah by the time we get to the third Sunday of Advent, is it must be Jesus. We've got our lens zoomed in so tightly on the nativity that we are ready for Mary and Joseph and a child, and some camels, and some cattle, and probably some wise men, even if they're not supposed to be there yet. We are completely ready, and we've tightened that view so much that sometimes we've missed part of what's happening. And the text zooms us back out, and we're going to zoom back out today to get a different reading of this. This passage is challenging. I shattered all of Jean's illusions about it in Sunday school. So if you need to pick up Jean in pieces as she goes out, please do so. This passage probably isn't about Jesus. In the previous chapter, in chapter 41, God calls his servant Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Jacob, and then later on in chapter 42, what we just read, about verse 18, God is going to talk about how blind and deaf and clueless his servant is. And that perfectly describes disciples to me, but that's not where I'm theologically willing to go with Jesus. Jesus is not just the servant. Jesus is the main thing. And so there is this challenge here if we read this as Jesus in more than just this nine verses. So we're going to zoom back out for more than just these nine verses. If the servant is Israel, that changes a lot of things. Because we can't make this just about Jesus. Okay? So that's one of the challenges. The other challenge 
is that by the time we get to this point in Advent, we're usually ready for cute little baby Jesus. I'm not going to do the Ricky Bobby thing from Talladega Nights, but if you've heard the prayer, you know the prayer. Um, cute little six pound, eight ounce baby Jesus. Um, to the point that we think we know what God is doing. And this passage has God telling us what God is doing. So our vision of what happens at Christmas and God's vision of what is happening at Christmas are two entirely different things. God's vision described here is gentle. It is almost soft. It is certainly not the Messiah desired in those days. Uh, somebody who's going to come in and rescue them from Babylon and take them home and bring on all things, and is not the, the Messiah that much of the Christian church wants today, who's going to ride in and set Jesus right on the throne and living in the White House and ruling everything. It's not that. It is a Messiah who's going to bring about justice. And this description, these descriptions are tough. Well, we've almost got one here today. We've got a, a dimly burning wick, and this servant will not quench that wick. That's hard to do. I mean, we've normally asked the kids to be our acolytes and carry the light of Christ out into the world at the end of worship. And it takes some training, because if you go too fast, you will snuff that flame just with wind speed. You think you're not walking that fast, but you are. This servant is not going to quench a dimly burning wick. And this servant is not going to break a bruised reed. Not going to break something that's already damaged. And that's, I mean, that's really disappointing if you're looking for somebody to kick the Babylonians and the Tukas and take you home. It's also really disappointing because the point of all of that is to bring about justice. And I think we've become painfully aware that justice doesn't just walk in. Justice tends to need to have somebody drug to it, kicking and screaming. And so we have those challenges with this passage. And, you know, guess what? They're going to be there. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth is another problem for us if we want this to be Jesus. Because we've read the rest of the story. And we've been through Friday and we've been through Sunday and we live in a world where justice is still not perfect and real and accessible every day. So we've got some challenges here. But then God is going to remind us, starting in verse 5, exactly who God is. And to do that, God is going to go back to the very, very beginning. Remember me, the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, when I stretched out the heavens, when I hung the stars in the sky. The next little bit there is a reminder of the creation stories in Genesis about the breath from God that settles on the waters and about breathing life into a man named Adam. And then 
we get this great image. We get this powerful image that I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. And that, that sounds, let's do the altar call right then, right? I mean, that, that's when we should do that. And then God just goes and undoes all of that and says, I have taken you by the hand and kept you. And the image that runs to my mind is what parents do with a child in the parking lot or when they're about to cross the street. And that is not an altar call moment. There may be a come to Jesus moment attached to it, but it is not an altar call moment. It is a moment of intimacy, of love, of relationship, of care, of protection. So then God goes back to the covenant with Abraham and says, I've given you as a covenant to the people. Again, that's going to be problematic if we're talking about Jesus. A light to the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and the prison, those who sit in darkness. If you're New Testament people, that may sound an awful lot like Matthew 25. It should. They mirror each other. And then God says again, I am the Lord. That is my name. That's an echo to Exodus 3 with Moses at the burning bush. The the word for Lord here is Yahweh. It is the tetragrammaton, the proper name of God. Then there's an echo to another piece of the Moses story, the Ten Commandments. I give my glory to no other, nor my praise to idols. Those Ten Commandment things, that golden calf. And then the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And we we latch on that new things as though it has to be Jesus. Go home, read Isaiah 41 and 42. You'll find a lot in there. But now let's flip the script and let's make this about Israel. And in making it about Israel, let's make it about the people of God. Oh, this is where it gets really uncomfortable as a sermon. Because then we are the ones who are not supposed to quench dimly burning wicks or break bruised reeds. We are the ones who are supposed to bring forth justice. So let's talk about what that might actually look like in practice. How many of you had a favorite teacher? How many of you had a least favorite teacher? Uh Uh-huh. How many of you almost lost your love for something because of that least favorite teacher? That is quenching a dimly burning wick. When we are young, we are fragile. We are barely there. We don't know what we're doing. Our challenge is to be with fragile people and not snuff them out, not end their hope, not shatter their dreams. That can be hard some days. I, mean, I think every guy I knew growing up was going to be a professional athlete. None of us are professional athletes. There's this boundary between reality and crushing of the spirit that we have to be mindful of. That 
breaking a bruised reed is the same way. By the time we've lived more than a couple years, we have our bruises and our scars. We have our hot spots that are well-worn in our lives, our buttons that have been pushed too many times over and over and over again. And it doesn't take much more to break them, to break us. Church is full of broken people. Church is also a place that breaks people. And one of our challenges as the people of God is to keep people whole long enough to heal. A bruised reed he will not break. What does that look like? Well, it's, it's complicated because none of us are bruised and battered and broken in the same ways. Some of us are barely hanging on by our fingertips and others have most of a foot on the ground. And some of us have one foot in the grave and one foot on a banana peel, right? We're all over the place. And that means that we really need somebody who's going to take us by the hand, call us by name, be in covenant with us. This challenge for us as the people of God is hard. Because we have to slow down enough to actually see the people around us, to hear their stories, to watch their behaviors, and figure out how we're supposed to respond to that. And often we don't want to give it that much time. It'd be so much better if it was just Jesus who could handle all this stuff, wouldn't it? Then I don't have to do anything because Jesus has it under control. Jesus delegates really effectively. And there's about 2.2 billion of us right now that have been delegated this work. So as we come into this season, I want you to look at all the images we use. Think about all the images we use. We use light in the darkness. We use a shoot coming out of a stump. We use a lamb and a shepherd. Talk about a star. Talk about wise men who show up two years late and bring impractical gifts. And if they'd been wise women, they would have been on time with casseroles, you know. <laughs> We talk about kings and tiny out-of-the-way places. We talk about salvation and deliverance. Run to us is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the language we use. We light a lot of candles. We have a very, very dimly burning wick. Did not plan that. Works out well, though. How do we hear all of those images if we zoom out enough to see the larger work of what God is doing? To start with creation and look through all of our ups and downs, all of the covenants God makes with us, all of the times God delivers us, all of the times we struggle with our faith. 
What if we zoom out and Jesus isn't just the reason for the season, but God at work in the world is the reason for everything. You may have noticed here as we close that God is not very delicate in speaking in this passage. Thus says the Lord, this is who I am. This is what I am about in the world. Thus says the Lord. How do we see that in poetry, in symbol, in song? How do we see that in our lives over the bigger picture? How do we serve carefully enough? It's still going. To not quench a dimly burning wick to the glory of God. To be a light to the nations. To be a light in the darkness. To be hope when all seems to be despair. That is not just the task of Jesus. That is the task of every one of us who bears his name. So this Advent, may we go zoomed out just a little bit. To God alone be the glory, this day and forevermore. Amen.